Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast for the climate economy. We dive deep into the climate crisis and come up with solutions. I'm your host, Molly Wood. All right, we've covered plastic in various ways on this show, and we will continue to because it is a massive pollutant to land, oceans, animals, our endocrine systems, and it's almost completely derived from fossil fuels to boot. And plastics are a relatively new problem. According to the nonprofit Our World in Data, the world produced 2 million tons of plastic in 1950, but by 2019, we were producing 460 million tons of plastic every year. Of all the plastic produced between 1950 and 2015, 30% was still in use because plastic can last a really long time, but fully 55% was discarded and went straight into landfill. It's just habit now, and habits are hard to change, but not impossible. So today I'm talking with two people who are trying to help imagine and help us all see a world without plastic. First, someone who's been working in this space for a very long time. I'm Deanna Cohen. I am co-founder and CEO of Plastic Pollution Coalition. Plastic Pollution Coalition is a communications and advocacy organization working towards a more just, equitable, regenerative world free of plastic pollution and its toxic impacts. How Deanna arrived at this job might surprise you. I'm a visual artist, and I've now, at this point, been making artwork out of plastic bags that I cut up and sew back together for 31 years. Yeah, she was an artist. She got started when she was on a trip and did a little art improvisation. I was traveling. I felt like making artwork. I found literally a shoe shine bag hanging in a motel closet, cut it up, combined it with another bag that I had that was like a Pepto-Bismol pink color. <laughs> And uh, made a piece that was called Shine and showed it in an exhibit and had this kind of epiphany of, because I had been working with plastic bags in a collage form and adding stitching to it, then began adding plastic to that and then started working with the plastic and thought, this is a really fascinating material. Not with any awareness, really, of what it was made out of, where it came from, the damage it was doing. I had no idea. So I worked kind of blissfully for about eight years with plastic bags, and they became my primary material that I was using for these two- and three-dimensional pieces and sculptural pieces I was making. And after about eight years, a few of the bags in a few of my pieces started to fissure, and break apart. And then I got excited and thought it meant that the plastic bags were organic and ephemeral mm. like us and breaking down and going back to the earth. So I, I attempted to educate myself about it. And that's when I started to learn about what plastic is made out of and plastic bags. And 99% of plastics are made out of petrochemicals and fossil fuels, which I didn't know. So plastic is basically made from oil. And um, that was really fascinating. And then around the same time I'd been working, making this artwork, 
I became a certified scuba diver. Then about five years later, I started attempting to longboard, but, you know, surfing. And I was just spending more and more time in the water. And I kept finding plastic floating everywhere. So I was tying it to my bathing suit, tucking it in my bikini top, like shoving it in my wetsuit and bringing it out and then looking for a a garbage can, basically. And I wasn't thinking, do we recycle this stuff? What happens to it? I wasn't thinking about it at all. So I really came to the issue not as an activist. I feel more like an accidental activist in that the more I was seeing, particularly of this material in the ocean and in the sea, I had a growing kind of concern about it. Around 2007, Deanna says she met Captain Charles Moore, the marine conservationist who coined the term and tried to tell the world about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and has a book called Plastic Oceans. And while her first thought was to try to get funding for cleanup efforts. I came to realize that I, you can't clean it up and that I was really approaching it in the wrong way that instead of looking at it as this is just something that we should be cleaning up, we need to back up and look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is a systemic issue, which is, you know, where are all the source points that this stuff is getting in to not just the ocean, but our environment in general. And so that's what really led to creating with other co-founders Plastic Pollution Coalition. That was in 2009. The organization's advisors included the environmentalist Bill McKibben, and if you don't get his Substack newsletter, by the way, you really have to. Also, the legendary marine biologist Sylvia Earle. And they produced a one-day TEDx conference called TEDx Great Pacific Garbage Patch in 2010. I mean, yeah, right? Deanna just did it. And now the coalition has 1,400 members, including nonprofits, but it's about 50% businesses from 75 different countries. And in the last five years, she says there's been a huge uptick in businesses in particular joining the fight. So you can really see this upswing in in people realizing that not only is this a problem or an issue, but businesses wanting to come from and take this on, come from the solution perspective, look at how to measurably reduce their plastic footprint within their their work, their delivery systems for their products, what they're manufacturing, what they're making. And a lot of our business coalition members are also offering alternative materials or infrastructure delivery systems. So a lot of coalition members working with glass, food grade stainless steel, copper, wood, ceramics, Mushrooms, mushroom mycelium, seaweed, algae, you know, it would be kind of incredible. Now, to be clear, this movement isn't just about pollution anymore. It's about the continuing extraction of fossil fuels, their use in making plastic, and the chemicals that process creates that are kind of killing us. Let's just put a fine point on that for a minute here. And again, your average person walking down the street has no idea, as I had no idea in the beginning, that plastic, 99% of plastics are made from fossil fuels. And then the additives that we use, which are also a lot of these chemicals, are also products of processing fossil fuels. But these products like bisphenol A, or if it's BPA-free, bisphenol substitutes BPB, BPS, BPZ, and phthalates, the two classes of chemicals, and then also forever chemicals, PFAS and PFOA chemicals, these chemicals which are used to make plastics or used to plasticize 
the carbon source, even if it's a plant-based carbon source, they've been identified as endocrine disruptors. So they, we absorb those chemicals in our body. Some of them, it looks like bis bisphenols and things we can actually release from our body or pee out, but we're exposed to these chemicals on a daily basis every day. Every piece of food that we eat, if we eat out, you don't know how things are packaged, you know, in the kitchen or a restaurant, but anything that we purchase that's packaged in plastic, food, beverages, beauty products, cleaning products, healthcare products, potentially those plastics or the chemicals used to make those plastics are leaching micro amounts into our food and beverages and into what we're ingesting or putting on our skin or putting on our baby's skin. And those chemicals, BPA having been studied the most, but those chemicals, bisphenols and phthalates and PFAS chemicals have been linked to a whole slew of health issues. Again, BPA has been studied the most, but it's been linked to babies in utero. It's been linked to shortened anogenital distance, smaller penis size, early menses in girls, so girls getting their period younger and younger and younger, uh, feminization of boys, boys getting breasts, breast buds and breasts, attention deficit disorder, and lower IQ. Wow. And that's just babies exposed to one of those chemicals in utero. Right. Uh, in adult studies, bisphenols have been linked to diabetes and obesity, both of which we're having epidemics of in the United States. And happily exporting to other countries around the world. Fertility issues, including lower sexual functions, sterility and infertility, and cancers, breast cancer, brain cancer, prostate cancer. So it looks like in human beings and in animals, particularly mammals like us, that our gonads and these organs in our body actually collect and hold these different kind of polluting chemicals. And it affects us. Right. So to me, like any one of these things would be highly alarming. <laughs> right. But your average person has no idea. So the Plastic Pollution Coalition has a lot of initiatives that all fall into the bucket of good solutions. There's an online scorecard designed for venue operators to compare the environmental impact of various containers and utensils and packaging choices and find alternatives. There's a huge lobbying effort called Filtered Not Bottled that's pushing for federal and local funding to update water infrastructure with better filtering in copper, not PVC pipes, to make tap water safe to drink in communities across the U.S. There are lots of programs for schools, events, tips for advocating in your community, and then this one I love called Flip the Script on Plastics. To start, the coalition commissioned a report from the Norman Lear Media Center at USC looking at plastic portrayal unscripted television. When the report came out, what they found was that on average, every episode that they looked at, um, they looked at two episodes of each series that they were uh, reviewing, that every episode had on average 28 pieces of single-use plastic per episode. And every single episode had at least what they called one mass plastic event, which meant a sequence in a market or a supermarket, uh, a hospital, a party, something where there was so much single-use plastic that it was impossible to count it in the sequence. Wow. And so we created a baseline with the Norman Lear Media Center, and then we took it to the other part of the media center, which is called Hollywood Health and Society 
And we let them know that we wanted to create this flip the script on plastics to really share this idea around reusables on screen and to figure out the best way to help educate content creators and writers and showrunners and, again, working with talent to get real stories about plastic pollution into the storyline. So Flip the Script on Plastics is it's basically it's an initiative to help the entertainment industry model real solutions to the plastic pollution crisis, both on set and in the storylines. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I heard about a movie that did something like that. And I can't remember what it was, but Deanna knew, obviously. Yeah, I can tell you what the film was. It was called Marry Me, and it was Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. And it was that the director made a commitment, and there was no comment about it. But right. when Jennifer Lopez is drinking water, she's she's playing a rock star, you know, a performer. I mean, she's playing herself kind of in a way, but <laughs> as a character. And um, she's working out, and you see her go grab a kind of swell-shaped bottle that's a little bit blinged out or whatever, and she's drinking out of that. And then you see Owen Wilson's character making lunch for his tween daughter, and he's making it all in reusable steel little containers and with a thermos and everything for her. So he's making her a plastic-free right. lunch. So it's, there's no comment on it in the film. It's just the visuals that are shown. In April, the Motion Picture Association and SAG-AFTRA announced the Hollywood Green Council, a mission to try to eliminate single-use plastics on and off screen. Deanna and the actor Ed Begley Jr. created something called the Begley Cohen Test, so you can evaluate a show or movie's portrayal of single-use plastics, either because it doesn't have any, or because if it does, they're portrayed or discussed as problematic. They highlight movies that have done this really well. Lots of them are period pieces, but some standouts include The Banshees of Incheron from 2023, where even the costumes are handmade wool sweaters, free of microplastics. I know we're a little ways into September already, but the Coalition is running a film competition for this month only called Plastic Kills, where you can make a one to three minute scripted horror movie about plastic pollution. The winner gets $2,000 and the details are at plasticpollutioncoalition.org. All right, time for a quick break. When we come back, I'll talk to an independent filmmaker about this exact thing, thinking about and portraying plastic in entertainment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool, where we are talking about how to break our addiction to plastics and how that can start with what we see on TV and movies and how those productions operate behind the scenes. My next guest makes films. My name is Nada, um, like in Spanish, Nada uh, Georgievich, and I am a social impact consultant and a storyteller. And by that, I mean, I'm a writer and a filmmaker. 
When I met Nada, because we used to be neighbors back in around 2013, she was advising high-needs schools and school districts about how to improve educational outcomes and opportunities. She studied education at Harvard, and she was writing on the side. And then she wrote a feature film that I got to be part of as a table read during the pandemic. So the theme of that film, and it is a dramedy, um, a dramatic comedy, is sustainability. And it's about sustainability of romantic relationships, sustainability of families, sustainability of our economic infrastructure, particularly about farming in rural um, Northern California. So I got, had, had the chance to talk with like some 400 people and got to see a lot of different perspectives. And that really informed how I made this film. But it was all very, you know, it's a relationship-based film. And it was about people who have disparate views, disparate disparate perspectives, but are, are struggling and coming together to find themselves and, and develop relationships and improving their relationships with themselves and each other and the world that they're in. Nada says her lens on this storytelling comes from growing up in Northern California and watching it go from greenhouses and horses in Silicon Valley to freeways and office parks. When you grow up, I mean, and you know too, because you didn't grow up in the city, but when you grow up next to things, you, you develop a love for them. And then how do you deal with the fact that they're gone? And I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, the stories that we see, right? We, we don't always have a vocabulary for, for climate change that's happening. 97% of films that were made between 2015 and 2020 don't mention climate change. This is from a you know, USC Norman Lear um, study. And so if you have you know, fewer than three or three percent are talking about that. How do we communicate that this is not normal? We get embedded into like, oh, I need to put this in my film versus this is the way the world is. And I think that that it's difficult to create a story if somebody says, oh, you make sure you put in a rabbit, you know, or make sure that, you, that this, you know, it's sort of mm-hmm. like the, a game, like, oh, I need to put this in. But if you look at the world and you go, wow, it, I cannot go outside the next three days because there were wildfires in Canada, then that should be part of your plot. So as obvious as that seems, that if climate change is the backdrop of our daily lives and films are increasingly anachronistic if they don't portray it, Nada says at least one nonprofit told her they couldn't fund her feature film about farming in rural California if it mentioned climate change. And if you look up climate-oriented films, you know, you'll find that there are five or six films in the last few years that are mentioned, you know, Don't Look Up, obviously, Interstellar, there's very, very few, and none of which are really placed in today's world. Mm-hmm. So the what is the reason behind that? Well, one is because, you know, people are very risk-averse in this industry. Yeah. No one wants to be the person that said yes to the thing that failed. Like Waterworld was, you know, something that failed big time. This is an industry that wants to say yes to something that they know was a proven commodity or, you know, it's IP that that uh, people know about. That said, don't look up as kind of change is a paradigm changer. You know, it really said this could you could make a film about something incredibly depressing and it could be funny and people will watch it. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not the only one you can make, but it, it I think it's going to have a ripple effect because it did, you know, it uh, was nominated for Oscars and it 
made a lot of money and um, it was seen a lot. So far, says Nada. Where there's a lot of movement is subtle changes. Oh, let's put a bicycle in this film. Let's try to change things, change the discussion. We won't mention the word climate change, but we'll hint at it kind of thing. Interesting. You might see the hottest day on record or, you know, let's have let's have the character ride his bike to work, you know, like in shrinking. Let's have him sit at a park. And I think I, mean, I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. Sort of the, the Pinot Noir effect, right? Having people uh, notice something that's in a film and then want to apply it to their own life. Explain the Pinot Noir effect for people who did not get to be in that conversation with us. Yes. Um, so that is from the the film Sideways, which is a buddy film uh, that takes place in the Central Coast. And there's a big discussion about Pinot Noirs and Merlots. And the protagonist discusses the merits of Pinot Noirs and how what a unique grape it, it is and how... It is just this beautiful monologue in front of um, Virginia Madsen. And when, after the film came out, the sales of uh, Pinot Noir went way up and Merlot went down. And that's happened now for almost a decade. They said that finally the Pinot Noir effect is dying down. The film isn't, you know, just when we talk about, is it a climate film? Is it a film about Pinot Noir? No. Is it, it's a it's a buddy film. It's a, you know, it's a slight, you know, it's a romantic comedy, a buddy journey about two guys. And, but the best scene in the film and, you know, this incredible monologue that changed how people see this wine. And finally, as much as we need to see, I guess, like super sustainable Pinot Noir in movies, there's also the behind the scenes. And that is major. For example, a 60-day film shoot can use almost 40,000 single-use water bottles. That's according to a 2019 industry report. And the process of making any film or TV or even commercial can be wildly wasteful. My neighbor is a set designer, and about a week ago, he came back with all of these bananas because he said we were you know, filming a commercial and we couldn't get the right banana. So they had overpurchased all these bananas. And so he gave it to me, he gave it to my other neighbor. And, you know, we're making banana bread all week. But that's just one, you know, one example. But uh, the amount of paper. So somebody, you get a script and then you get multiple copies. Like there's one page that changes and, and some people want to see the entire full script again and again. And, you know, I'm going to be honest, like I was guilty when I filmed my film in November Everybody a, co- a paper copy of the script that was on set. And a lot of people were just reading it on their phone. And again, this is also that shift in culture that younger people are used to reading on the phone. They don't need a paper copy. That was, uh, you know, an eye opener for me. Then there's also like massive, you know, massive building that goes on sets, particularly commercials are bad. They'll you know create things that then they can't reuse. And so Thinking about the Hollywood Climate Summit I went to, they really thought they talked about the idea that a script is one thing that you can, you know, embed issues of um, sustainability and climate awareness. But then you have to think all the elements through post-production from 
you know, how many pages of the script that you copy from uh, craft services? What are you doing with your leftovers? What are you doing with anything that's built for your production? How do you get people to think differently, bring their own cup, keep that cup, you know, for all uh, the entire um, production, which might be, you know, a month. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, I think it take, you know, it's going to take a lot of shifts in culture that we haven't yet made in part because we haven't yet seen it. But again, I want to highlight that these shifts are happening. Like so many things in this fight, slowly, yes, we need more, yes, but surely. Here's a fun fact. In the filming of my second favorite movie after the original, Top Gun Maverick, the producers brought in filtered water and people used refillable bottles on set, diverting some 30,000 plastic bottles from the waste stream. And not for nothing, saving thousands of dollars in production costs. All right, I could talk about movies all day, but I gotta go. That is it for this episode of Everybody in the Pool. Thank you so much for listening. Please email me your thoughts and suggestions. And hey, we have a website now. Find all the latest episodes and more at everybodyinthepool.com and email me at in at everybodyinthepool.com. And yes, transcripts and show notes are coming soon. Finally, if you want to become a subscriber and get an ad-free version of the show, hit the link in the description in your podcast app of choice or on the website. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.